preaching, and I'm not even preaching. So I'm going to put that down. I'm so used to grabbing my Bible. I can preach if you want, but I think we've got a, an even better preacher this morning. Um, do you know what? We're a church who honor women. Um, believe God calls women just to do amazing things. There's some amazing accounts of women in, the, in Scripture that just blow me away. Uh, and I, I think we're privileged this morning to be able to have Lorraine, who's going to come and preach. Um, so can we just give a very warm welcome to Lorraine. Lord, just bless her as she gives out. And, uh, and we thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we can bring you so little, but we bring you what we've got this morning, and I just bring you the word that you've given me, and I thank you that you will multiply it, and you will speak into each of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my uh, sermon this morning is Seeing and Being Seen. About two weeks ago, John brought to a close his excellent uh, series on embracing the space. And the space was the gap between where we are and where we think we should be. And one of the key messages of that was that the kingdom of God can break into that space. It can break into the here and the now and that it can look very different to what we think it might be. Now, John's also been speaking about the importance of community and how we can all share our own stories and we can learn different aspects of God from one another. And so that's my prayer this morning, that as I bring my own little bit of testimony about how God has been taking me further and further into embracing the space um, that, J that John's been speaking to you about. So being Mothering Sunday, I just thought it would be a good opportunity to share something, just a little memory really, of when I was a young mum. My family setup is slightly strange. I have a stepmum who's the same age as my husband. I have a step, a half, <laughs> very young, very young. <laughs> I've got um, a half-brother who's um, just 18 months older than my son, Matt. And what the good thing of that was that there was lots of hand-me-downs, particularly really lovely toys and Fisher-Price toys. The most favorite that we had was a garage and um, a fun fair. And Matt's memories of those are those toys and lots of his other toys being put into the back of the car and taken off to every single gathering of family and friends where there were children. I just wasn't one of those moms who could arrive and just let the children go off and have a free-for-all. And a lot of the moms were happy just to sit around and compare how many sleepless nights they'd had and let the kids carry on. And every now and again, one of them would get up and go investigate if there was a particularly loud scream or if there was blood involved. But otherwise, <laughs> they'd just be happy just to have, have their tea and, and let the kids be kids. And I just couldn't do that. And I'd like to, you know, you to think that it was all because it, I was being a good mom and... Um, sharing Matt's toys, but it was because I wanted to control the situation. I wasn't comfortable with things going wrong and me then having to go and sort them out. And so I thought if I could bring all of these exciting toys and the children could be really constructively involved, then they wouldn't get up to mischief. It didn't always work, but I tried. And uh, Matt hopefully grew up to be fairly normal, and he went to lots of his friends where, they were, where they were <laughs> there were two or three children and there was chaos in the house. And so he got to be involved in, in some chaos as well and learn normal family life. But 
what they'll illustrate is that I like control. I like to know that there's no surprises. That's what makes me feel safe. I perform better when I'm planned and when I'm organized. And I can do things in a crisis. I've been known to rise to the occasion and to perform really well. But I perform better when I know what's going on, when I know what to expect. And so when John started preaching, and he, his first sermon was, what is the kingdom of God? If we can put that up. Um, he said, God's people in God's place, under God's rule. And then he said, it's unexpected people doing unexpected things in unexpected places. Lots of unexpected there. Not my comfort zone at all. But looking back over the past year, before John started preaching, so just a couple of months before January, I realized God had been teaching me some stuff that was almost laying the foundation for the truth that John was going to be bringing. I went on a retreat to Poole. I love the sea, and Matt lives by the sea. So I thought, well, I'll combine the two, and I'll go on a retreat. And I was really well organized. I booked myself into a lovely little hotel, got a really cheap deal, right on sandbanks overlooking the entrance to Poole Harbor. Really excited. Not, I just booked, and I found out that Matt was going to South Africa. And so that kind of blew that out of the water. That oh, well, I'm not going to see him. But that's okay. I'll have my car. I'll be able to travel, be able to go around and see the area. And then Andy and I managed to get a couple of days away just near Poole. And so it would have been a waste for me to come all the way home and then travel all the way back up. So he said he'd drop me off and I'd catch a train back. So I wouldn't have a car. And I'd have to use the bus. So that's not something that I... I'm used to doing, but I thought I would, I would try. The room I was going to be in, Andy dropped me off, and uh, I knew it was going to be small. I knew it might be a little bit noisy because we were going to be, I was going to be close to the kitchen, and that's why I got it cheap, <laughs> really, really cheap. But I thought, that's okay, that's all right. It's just going to be noise during the day. The night will be fine. It was a bit dark and dingy, but Andy left me, and he said, can I just ask you one thing? Can you be back before the sun sets? And I think he was just thinking of being back in Stratford, Matt not being anywhere near, and me phoning and saying, I'm lost in the middle of pool. Can you come and find me? I'm not great with direction. So my first night wasn't particularly great. Um, I'm a light sleeper, and there was this continual generator noise. It wasn't kitchen noise, but whatever it was just kept me awake. I woke up the next morning, I went down to reception, and I said, you know, I, I don't mind kind of the kitchen noise during the day, but is there anything you can do about that generator noise through the night? And she said, leave it with her, and, and off I went for my day. And I decided to go for a lovely long walk across um, to Bournemouth. It was longer than I expected, but I was walking along the beach, and I love picking up shells. So I was studying the beach intently, and I suddenly realized I was missing the view. I was looking up wasn't seeing the sea, wasn't seeing the beautiful cliffs, and was torn. I thought, well, I'm going to miss the shells if I look at the view. But I thought, no, come on, look at the view. You can give up on the shells. But as I was walking, every now and again, I would glance down, and it was almost like I was glancing down at just the right moment. 
and there was a beautiful shell. And so I managed to do both. I managed to collect some really lovely shells and to look at some lovely views as well. Uh, those are just my shells that I collected. I got home um, quite exhausted and I did get back before the sun set and I even took Andy a, a picture so that I could send him on my phone so he could see I was home before the sun set. I was quite anxious how I was going to have another sleepless night. So I thought, no, God's got this. If I can pick up lovely shells along the beach, um, he's got my good night's sleep. And so I put my earphones and got my art stuff out ready because I was just going to be a hermit. I didn't want to speak to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. And he said to me, go and have some dinner at the hotel. And I said, no, I'm just going to stay in my room. I'm just going to read my books, put my headphones in and do some art and just be with God. And so I got my headphones in to drown out the generator noise and the phone rang and it was the receptionist and she said, uh, are you okay to change rooms? I went, oh, okay. So I rushed downstairs with all my stuff and a porter took me to a new part of the hotel, didn't even know it was built, and opened the door and there was this massive room, big window overlooking the car park, a huge big tree. And I just stood there, my mouth hanging open. And off you went and I, I stood for about five minutes just is this real? This doesn't happen to me. This is not something that I would expect. I did have a couple of sleepless moments that night wondering what the bill was going to be like because they'd said to me, were you prepared to move rooms? And I'm thinking, did that mean was I prepared to pay more? But I went the next morning and, and I realized there was no extra charge. I was feeling a bit brave after all of this, so I headed out into pool the next morning and I thought, well, I've got seven hours before the sun sets. Didn't know really where I was going to go. But I thought, it's you and me, God. And so I walked out, and I was going to try and catch the bus. And this elderly gentleman walked in front of me, and he said, oh, have you got the time? Fairly innocent question. So I gave him the time, and he said, where are you going? So I'm trying to get my way to Pool Park. He said, okay, well, the bus is just around the corner, but it's in the shade. It's about 15 minutes. Come sit in the sun. I'm waiting for a different bus. I went and sat down. And had a really interesting conversation. And he, <laughs> he was a very outgoing man, but he hated life, hated the world. He was telling me what miserable thing life was, how everybody was wrong, how the government had got it wrong, everything was just a mess, life wasn't worth living. I thought, well, this is a good way to start the day. But I thought, no, and I shared with him. I said, well, I don't believe that. I said, I think the world is a mess, yes, but I believe in God and I believe that he gives me meaning for now and for the future. Now, that's not what I do. I don't sit next to strange people and start talking about God. And two elderly people joined us, and he introduced me like a long-lost friend, and we carried on chatting for about five minutes, and I got up to go and catch my bus, and he shook my hand, and he said, you have been such an inspiration. And I said, well, actually, I was going to say the same to you because I came here, and I wasn't going to talk to anybody, and you've engaged me in conversation, so thank you. And I walked away. And as I was walking, I felt really inspired by him. But I felt sad that I hadn't found his name because I thought I'd really like to pray for him. God had put such a burden on my heart for him. And I got on my bus and off I went. We stopped about four stops down. And I couldn't believe it. There he was getting onto the bus. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he, he came and sat next to me the aisle and I said w what are you doing he said no well he goes his way to get the sandwich and then he catches another bus to go home and there he was ready to go home so I asked him his name and he told me and he just started to open up about his life and he started to say 
you know, I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. I'm at a crossroads, and I really don't want to do with my life. And I said to him, well, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm just going to say to you, whatever you do, do it with the same enthusiasm that you reach out to other people because you've inspired me. And he got off and off he went. After telling me which bus stop to get off at to get to Poor Park, so I got off and I went in search of um, a little ice rink that I'd heard was in Pool Park and I got there and it was tiny. Um, I think little children might even find, you know, it just too easy. It was really tiny. So, I thought, oh, I well, won't go on there. So I went and had something to eat and drink. In no rush, I walked out of Pool Park, um, out of the cafe, and I've, I've put a map up here. That's right. So as you can see in the top right-hand corner, can you see where WC is, the all-important loo? <laughs> the cafe is there. And I walked out, and I walked around the top of the lake. So if you just follow around, you can see water sports, restaurant, and pee and playground. But before I walked around, as I came out the cafe, there was this old man sitting on a bench, looking very hunched over, and he had a Labrador dog next to him. And I wasn't there to talk to people, but after the experience on the bus, I thought, really, Lord, you want me to talk to everybody now? <laughs> and he, I thought, he's not even looking at me, so how can I talk to him? And I walked past, and I thought, no, God, I'm not going to sit next to the strange man. He doesn't even want to talk to anybody. And so I just said, good morning, as I walked past and carried on going. I felt a bit guilty. I thought, oh, really, I can't be talking to everybody. I'm here, just you and me, God. And I carried on walking around the top of the lake. And I came to the bit where it said playground, and there was this bench. And I glanced up, and there was this Labrador sitting by the bench. And I looked again. I thought, no ways. And I went over to the man. I said, excuse me, are you the same man I just said good morning to by the cafe? And he said, yes. I said, how did you get here? And I really thought God had just like picked him up and moved him. It, it really did feel like that. You know, we just think, oh, God, I know you're good, but th this, is, this is nuts. This is just crazy. How did you do this? And I said, how did you get here so quick? He said, well, I don't know. I, I walked around the other side of the lake. Oh, okay. So I said, oh, do you come here often? And he just opened up completely, sort of telling me his whole life history and telling me how his daughter used to live there, and he's got a son in Africa, and all about his trips to Africa. And by the time we'd finished talking, he was sitting upright, he was beaming, and I was just like, what? And I said, well, it's lovely to meet you. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm trying to get to Pool Town. He said, okay, well, you go around here and, and point to me in the right direction. And as I started to walk, I'm thinking, God, how did you do that? And then I started to remember, as I came out of the cafe, you see the little railway line? There was a little train going past, so I stopped and waited for that to go, and I waved to the children. And then I walked to the lake, and there were these lovely swans, and so I stopped and took, to, I took a video. And then as I was walking around, a lady stopped me and said, oh, lovely weather, isn't it? And she started talking to me about her dog, and I asked her what kind of dog it was. Um, and then I carried on, and I remembered a phone call I had to make, so I made a phone call. And then I found some students who were digging out of the water, whatever students dig out of the water, and I stood and watched them. And I realized all that time that man had walked around the edge. So no, God hadn't just picked him up and popped him somewhere different, but he had distracted me all the way along the lake so that he would be there when I got there and I would be speaking to him. Those are just two 
of the 15 people that I spoke to in my hermit retreat. I was going to be a hermit. I wasn't going to talk to anybody. On buses, on trains, people sat next to me. I just smiled, and within two minutes, they were telling me their life history. They thanked me when they got off for listening. They said, I don't know why I've told you all that, but thank you. And I went, okay, <laughs> nice to meet you. I got some of their names, some of them I didn't, but every one of them I've walked before God because God saw them through me and he's got a plan for them. It's not who I am. It's not what I do. And it's certainly not what I expected to do. You would have thought I'd been exhausted. Every night I spoke to Andy on the phone, he'd say, who have you spoken to today? And I was just bubbling. Just saying, oh, I saw this person, I saw this person, and they said this, and I said that. And my mom was exhausted. I was telling her what I was doing. And she said, you must be exhausted. I said, no, I'm not. I'm energized. I'm revived. I still had time to paint. I still had time to read. It was the most amazing four days of my life. And there was, there was so much more that happened that I can't even begin to tell you. But what I realized is that I had learned to do what John was going to preach on. He did a talk on walking with Jesus, working with Jesus, and watching how he does it. And that's what I had done. It was effortless. And that's not me. I'm the person that really works hard, gets organized, plans things. And God had just taken all that effort off, and he had used me in a way I had never, ever been used before. And the scripture that John preached on was, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, my desire, obviously coming back from the retreat, is to try to replicate something of what happened there. It was a special time. And I can't put God in a box. I can't put God into formulas and expect, well, I did this and you did that. So if I do it again, will you do it again? It was special. But I really have been asking God, how can I apply this to my day-to-day -day life? And this week he led me to the story of Zacchaeus. And I want to read that to you quickly this morning. So to set the scene, I just want to read from Luke 18, verses 31 to 34. That's Luke 18, 31. 34. Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. So Jesus and his disciples, they were on their way to Jerusalem, ultimately for Jesus to face the biggest challenge of his whole life. On the way, they met blind Bartimaeus, and needless to say, when they left him, he wasn't blind anymore. And the reading picks up as they enter Jericho. And we're looking at Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to the guest to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. How many of you love Her Majesty's revenue and customs? How much do you love working hard for your money and then handing it over to the tax collectors? Our taxes hopefully get used for all sorts of good things, so that's, that helps to soften the blow. But back in the day, I don't think the Jewish people had a lot of fondness for poor old Zacchaeus. He was a fellow Jew, and he was collecting their taxes on behalf of the, the Romans who were occupying. And I'm sure he took a bit of extra for his own pocket as well. He was the chief tax collector, so he probably took all the money from all the tax collectors and went and handed it over in person to the Romans. These Romans were the enemies of the Jews, and they were an enemy that they believed Jesus was going to overthrow with the arrival of his kingdom. So they felt pretty strongly about Zacchaeus, and they called him a sinner. They were very disgruntled that Jesus was having anything to do with him. This was not how they expected their Messiah and Savior to act. I don't think it was a day that Zacchaeus expected to have either, really. Probably woke up, heard that there was going to be this person passing through, or may have seen a crowd gathering, decided he'd get a little bit of a glimpse, Curiosity got the better of him and he climbed a tree. Maybe when he was down at the pub with his, his, his mates that night, his tax collector friends, he would have said, yep, I saw him, climbed a tree, caught a glimpse. But the day took a bit of an unexpected turn when the Messiah, the Son of God, turned and looked directly at him. Jesus knew what Zacchaeus was, but he looked and he saw beyond the role of tax collector. He knew what Zacchaeus needed, even though Zacchaeus may not have known himself. And you know, when he said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, I'm coming home with you, Zacchaeus didn't make an excuse. He didn't say, actually, no, I, I was just trying to catch a glimpse, really. I've, I've, got, I've got work to do. He ran down, he received him gladly, I still don't think he intended to part with all his riches, though, or half his riches. But there was just something about the presence of Jesus that completely melted that tough exterior, transformed his priorities, and that resulted in a radical desire to do the right thing. Now, when I was thinking back to my experiences in Poole, I saw hundreds of people on the trains, on the buses, locals, tourists, and yet, through God's grace and the guidance of his Holy Spirit, he helped me to see 15 different people, to really see them. And they knew that. That wasn't me. That was God in me. 
and they recognized and they didn't even realize what they were doing, pouring their hearts out. They weren't pouring their hearts out to me. They, re- they saw something in me. And that's what Jesus does. He recognizes, he sees. And I think it, it's more than a, a physical seeing, isn't it? It's that deep, deep seeing. After Zacchaeus made that incredible declaration saying that he was going to make up for all his wrongs, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I think we can be lost in one of three ways. I think we can be lost if we don't know Jesus. We can be lost if we've not made a decision to invite him in. And if that's you today, today is the day of salvation. If you've come just to satisfy a curiosity, to catch a glimpse, Jesus sees you this morning and he says, I need to stay at your house. When Zacchaeus hurried down, he received Jesus gladly and his life was never the same. We can feel lost even if we have known Jesus. Because sometimes I think the disappointments and the demands of this life, they can distract us. They can take our eyes off Jesus and we can begin to sink. And we can feel like we're drowning. And if that's you this morning, I invite you just to look at him because he's looking at you. He sees you. He sees the pain. He sees the damage. He sees the mess. He sees the stress. He sees it all. And he still says, I need to come to your house today. And I invite you just to let him transform you. Transform the pain, the confusion, the despair, because only his presence can do that. And then I think we can be lost in terms of where to next. We know we belong to Jesus. We want to serve him. But where do we go now? And this is what struck me. If the Son of God's mission was to seek and save the lost... There can be no higher calling. There can be nothing that I can do that can beat that. And, you know, I can say, oh, well, my job is really demanding. I don't have a lot of time. But then I think, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was going to be humiliated, rejected, and he was going to die a painful death. And yet, on his way, he still saw Bartimaeus and he saw Zacchaeus. He was a man, but he did it through the guidance of his father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's available for us today. And so it's my prayer for myself that he helps me to see people, that in my day-to-day work, all those Zacchaeuses that I come across, that he helps me to see them. And when I say to them, how are you, when I go to the till at Tesco and pay for my groceries, I actually look at them and say, how are you? And I listen, and I see people. And that's my prayer for all of us, because, you know, it, it feels complicated, but it isn't. If we ask God to help us to see others, and so that's why I've titled today, seeing and being seen because he sees us and once he sees us he gives us the strength to see others 
just close our eyes for a few moments. And I just want us to close our eyes and just look up to Jesus and know that he's gazing at us. I want to read a couple of verses from Psalm 139. Father, your knowledge of me is too deep. It's beyond my understanding. When my bones were formed, carefully put together in my mother's womb, when I was growing there in secret, you knew that I was there. You saw me before I was born. Examine me, O God, and know my mind. Test me and discover my thoughts. Find out if there is any evil way in me and guide me in the everlasting way. If you're lost this morning because you've never asked Jesus into your life, don't waste another moment. He sees you, not in an angry, judge kind of way, but he sees you as his child. He longs for you to allow him to come home with you. And if you would like to, say this prayer quietly in your mind or out loud. Jesus, I'm sorry for doing it my way. Please come into my heart today. Please come home with me and transform me. And if you've said that prayer or you'd like to say it with somebody after the service, please come and find one of us. Come and find John or me or one of the leaders and we'd love to pray that with you again or just to share some, some stuff with you. But Father, we want to thank you this morning that no matter how lost we feel, for whatever reason, we can be confident that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We want to thank you that we can be found and that you can come home with each one of us and you will continue to transform us that we may be part of extending your kingdom in this place by seeking and seeing and saving the lost. Thank you, Lord, for Oasis. Thank you for John. Thank you for his commitment and his loyalty. But Lord, thank you to you for using us in this place. And Lord, it's our prayer that we see those that you bring to us. But Lord, I pray for each one of us that as we leave this building today, that you help us to see even those that we love, the people that we're going to go and have lunch with or see later today. Help us to really see them with your love, with your compassion. Use us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's thank Lorraine, shall we?